Welcome to the podcast from the Temple. I'm Rabbi Peter Berg. And I'm Rabbi Lauren Filson Lapidus. This episode is brought to you by the Temple, Atlanta's oldest and youngest synagogue. Well, Lauren, we are uh, in the midst of all day, every day, preparing for the holidays. We're recording, we're getting New Year's cards out. We've got a gift to the congregation on its way. We, we are just uh, all in, all day, every day. But one thing that's on your mind, in my mind, and all the clergy's minds, sermons. Nah, what are you talking about? I'm totally thinking about challah. I'm not thinking about <laughs> That's that. right. And uh, well, you know, um, you know, it's an important moment in the congregation. Everybody's there, at least virtually this year, and everybody listens. And uh, a lot of people have a lot to say about it afterwards. It's true. I, I always think about, um, I think it's like Keeping the Faith, maybe, is the movie where he talks about like it's the Super Bowl of sermons. You know, it's like the high holy days. You got to do it really yeah. big and right and all of that. And, um, you know, it's really, it's this unique moment where, um, out of all of the weeks of the year, we know we have the largest audience, um, both in numbers and I would say attention span. Because on a regular Friday night, we generally keep our sermons to 10 to 12 minutes, but on the high holy days, um, except when we're virtual, we, we get a, we get a like, little extra time. Yeah, I think you get a little bit more than I do because you're the senior rabbi. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know that I get it as much as I take it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. There's, um, I remember early on when you and I both, I think we're new to Atlanta, and we were at an Atlanta rabbis meeting. Yeah. And it was a February meeting. And I still remember one of our colleagues started talking about, as his, like, Devar Torah to start the meeting, he talked about how he was already starting his High Holy Day preparations by reading, I think it was Soloveitchik. And I remember you and I turned to each other and said, oh no, like, I, I mean, that that took preparations to a new level because we do start thinking about it in advance, but I don't know if I've ever thought about it in February. Yeah. I mean, there's some, pre no, February, not even close. I mean, the only thing I do is have a folder that I throw newspaper clippings and the like notes and on napkins, you know, and I just have that folder there just with ideas and you know, sometimes it generates something. You know, there's a couple of books I, I like to read. I didn't do, do do it this year, but a couple of books I like to read. Um, um, uh, Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird is a great, like, sermon prep book. And there are some Jewish books for, you know, that about the holidays that are worth reading again and again and again to prepare. Um, and, but how do you prepare, when you know, when it's time to sit down and write, what, what do you do? So my process is, um, it's not very scientific, and probably if, if Micah, if my husband were here, you know, a two-rabbi household, it takes a different shape. Um, I still remember the year that we were both student rabbis, and we kind of, we were talking about sermon ideas together, and we kind of agreed on the same topic, but then, because we both liked it, and then we wrote two different sermons. You would never have known that it originated from the same topic, so it, it's funny how that works, but Usually starting around June, May, June, um, I start to get some idea of something I want to talk about. Um, and then by August, I've usually moved on like three iterations of that already. Um, and then there's a point where I finally decide I have enough of it in mind. And I always start with a blank piece of paper and a pencil um, because I can't just sit down and start writing it. I need to actually like 
write it out and, and try to outline it or, or just there's something about the act of, of physically writing that helps me to get organized. And, and then it just kind of goes from there. But usually I don't finish my Yom Kippur sermon until after Rosh Hashanah. That has been the past couple of years because there's just too much to think about and too much to get done. And, and I speak in the sanctuary in Yom Kippur, so I have a little bit of time. But yeah. um, by the time it gets to the pulpit, um, Micah has heard it at least three times. And then I have a congregant, um, one of my closest friends in Atlanta, who also happens to be a temple member, um, she always reads it for me. Um, this started several years ago when I was like, I just need somebody who's not a rabbi to look at this. And um, so that's become this, this custom of I send it to her and she reads it and gives some feedback and is, is very honest, which everybody needs a friend like that um, to edit their work. And between those two things, I usually come out with something that, that then I, I feel pretty good about about offering. Yeah, my, I have two, uh, three readers really. My, my parents, my mom always asks the question like, what are you trying to say? Summarize it for me in a sentence. And uh, my dad is like unbelievable with grammar. I mean, finds things that I never even heard of. And of course, Karen, who's the English teacher, you know, really um, is interested in commas and things that no one will ever know about because <laughs> it's spoken. But I, I um, and I, I was thinking about this recently. I've had three different rabbinic jobs. One where I was an assistant associate rabbi. Um, in many ways, that was the hardest because I only had one sermon. And you have like everything you want to say in one sermon, right? right? Then I was a solo rabbi where I, I had, you know, five or six sermons. That was actually the easiest because I could spread it out. You know, everything I wanted to say, I could map out and I did it all. Um, and then I guess in the middle is now where, where I have two. But, um, uh, you know, you really, it's hard to sort of distill everything you want to say. And, and eventually you have to say, okay, I, I'm not going to get to say everything that I want to say. It's just, it's not humanly possible. And that's why as a clergy team, we sometimes say, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? And um, it's also why for the past, you know, 12-ish years, my era of Rosh Hashanah sermon has been some kind of catch-all where I've been talking about, you know, everything and you know the world has been really challenging for the last 12 years so um you know it, it's been you know i've been able to in some way talk about israel and anti-semitism and whatever the chat you know the you know, the challenges are and you know i'm thinking back to some of the sermons i've given one you know i talked about two sides of shalom or three ways into the new year or uh, this too shall pass or buying a field of hope or the drama of, of jewish living and um you know, it's a it's it's a way to sort of summarize the new year in a hopeful message. Um, but it's interesting. I look back beyond you know the twelve or so years, and they were just on like random topics. You know, uh, repentance or charity or you know. Like, we I don't know. We've had that luxury in, in a long time. No, I, I mean when I was a student rabbi, I had you know all the sermons, and yeah. and I, I think you're right. There is a joy in being able to really have complete ownership over the 10 days. And so for me, you get, you speak Arab Rosh Hashanah and Kol Nidre, I speak uh, Yom Kippur afternoon, but ever since I started taking over the clergy worship calendar, I have generally speaking, um, assigned myself Shabbat Shuva to give everyone a break. Um, and uh, and so it's interesting because I kind of have, have come to see my sermon as, as kind of batting cleanup. Um, everyone else has spoken and Yom Kippur on the one hand, um, it's really a solemn day where I think Rosh Hashanah, you can have everything. Yom Kippur is, is this idea of, no, we're really supposed to be thinking very, very, very 
um, intentionally and seriously. I think back, um, when I first started here, I don't think I had quite a sense of exactly what I wanted to talk about because it was mostly trying to carve a lane that wasn't being talked about by anyone else. And also just, I was a baby rabbi, I, you know, one year in, I, I was not yet a parent. I had not yet lost a parent. I hadn't owned a house. I hadn't done a lot of, like, I, I was 26 when I, I started here. So, um, but I do remember um, starting to feel like I had something to say and that Yom Kippur was the time to say it. And I, I think over the years, I've, I've grown into trying to find what that message is, whether it is about Israel or um, anti-Semitism. Um, I remember the sermon I wrote when I was um, the first one after I had had my daughter and, and talking about how we make the most of our time. Um, but I still come back to um, the High Holy Days in 2016, where I had something to say and I knew I had something to say, but I didn't just want to, but the message was not do this or do that, but rather just like look around and, and see the conversations. And I, I spoke about the power of words and, and an experience I had with anti-Semitism when I was a child and I was told, oh, they don't really mean it. And the answer is like, well, okay, when do people actually mean what they say? And mm -hmm. it was the Brock Turner case and the elections and there were a lot of questions. And I remember really finding, I don't know if joy is the right word, in threading that needle and, and having a message that actually felt Torah-based and Yom Kippur appropriate and authentic. Like those are three big boxes to check. <laughs> and I think you go through that for Kol Nidre too. Yeah, I mean, I always say it would be interesting to see what happens if we switched who gives which sermon where, because you're, you're, you're right, there's, there's a certain um, responsibility that comes with batting cleanup. There's a certain responsibility that comes with setting the tone at the beginning. You know, Kol Nidre has its own, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is. It's got, it's got, it's, 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 mood. it's got its own mood. You know, for Kol Nidre, I try to, you know, I've done different things. You know, I've tried sometimes um, to talk about, you know, something really big that's happening that has ethical consequences, like the cheating scandal in the Atlanta public school system or um, uh, gun violence. Uh, you know, when, when, what, did you, what did you say? I said you, you'd also talked about trafficking one year. Right. Right. So, so sometimes, sometimes it's a, and it's about an initiative that we're going to do at the temple, but to, to do it through that lens, right? Human trafficking, or we even announced, I think, the engagement initiative one year through that sermon. I don't remember if it was Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. Um, but, um, you know, there are some themes that these holidays have that are timeless, right? When, when life disappoints, uh, um, immorality, uh, self-importance versus humility, uh, when you're wrong about being wrong. Those are themes that, you know, we, we, we bring back. Um, you know, I, I did a sermon once about loneliness because it's something we all feel on the, on the holidays. Um, and then sometimes I use the time to explain uh, concepts that, um, that seem easy to understand but actually have depth to them in Jewish tradition, like um, angels or... Um, uh, life after death, um, right? So we, we've used it for that. Um, I did one a few years ago about illness and something that we can all relate to now about um, sure. when, you've, when you're ill, you're just in a different place than everybody else. Um, well, and I think you point to the sermon it, at the High Holy Days. It's like, it is 
on the one hand, supposed to, to speak about Judaism. And on the other hand, it's like a state of the union, almost, yeah. the example of like, you've got you've to summarize the year. And I mean, no knock on, on the state of the Jewish community, but the truth of it is, this may be the only sermon or, or set of sermons that people hear. And their only connection, and, and really, when you think about, I think for some people, all they know us through are our sermons. Yeah. The sermon I gave about interfaith, um, my, my experience, actually, I think that was the first one that I really was just like, I, I'm putting it out here. Um, this is important to me. This is who I am. This is the message I want, was about interfaith families and interfaith engagement and my own right. story growing up with that. And people still reference it, even though I, I, I mean, I remember giving it, but the, right. Sometimes we find that the impact of our words goes beyond the moment. Right, because that, that's a perfect example of just acknowledging something that's it's, it's important to you, it's important to us, it's important to the temple. And, and you know, we forget that just, just, just that acknowledgement um, that, that it's getting a prime time slot is, you're right, goes a long way. And, and I think about um, when I was at HUC in Cincinnati, and it was, I think it was for American Jewish history. Um, Gary Zola, the head of the archives, uh, Rabbi Zola taught the class and the final project had to be a research project from the archives. And at the time, there was a lot of controversy over the war in Iraq. Um, and I was serving a pulpit in South Dakota that um, was really mixed about some of the rhetoric coming out of the movement and such. And so I did a project where I researched um, sermons about Vietnam. Uh, yeah. And so re looking back, and it's interesting because a lot of the rabbis of that time did not write their sermons out because you didn't have a computer and a printer and <laughs> like that. And so I read a lot of handwritten notes and things like that, but it was really interesting because it was this idea of what's another time when our, when rabbis had to be a voice of had to say, look, this is what you're seeing in the world. This is what you're wrestling with. And actually Judaism has something to say. And I yeah. think your point that you made earlier, when's the last time that we didn't have that situation? I mean, the right. issue is now not what should we talk about? It's how do we decide from all of the options on the table? Should we talk about COVID? Should we talk about right. history? Should we talk and, about what? Yeah. People sometimes think, oh, you know, rabbis are just using the space to talk about their own feelings and ideas, but that's really not true. I mean, we, everything we do is grounded in Torah. It's grounded in, in our tradition. So, um, and, you know, uh, how do I say this? The, you know, re reform rabbis have a very, um, a good track record, right? I mean, so if you look at issues that were controversial at the time, like the Vietnam War, we look back and say, Hmm, rabbi, right? If we say civil rights, very controversial at the time, and we look back and we say, right? So I, I, uh, I give reform rabbis quite a bit of, uh, uh, they're, they're on the correct side of history. Uh, but again, it's not, it's not just, you know, political statements. That's, it's, it's really uh, trying to ground, it's trying to do what the prophets did, which is uh, take our current world and, and make it relevant and grounded in Torah. How often do you find yourself with a sermon topic that you you want to give but you realize you can't? What do you mean by can't? Like uh, or or choose not to? I guess. Choose, um, I feel like sometimes I have things that I might want to preach about, but then I stop and I say, I can't do this in a way that isn't 
divisive or I can't figure out a way to root this enough in Judaism and far enough away from the rest of the secular world to make it feel right to get right. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, and sometimes there's, it's, you have, that's a great point. And sometimes there's just, it's a great topic, but there's not a sermon there, right? So like an, ex <laughs> an example would be, um, you know, like, I, I'm really excited about this, this peace deal, uh, mm -hmm. right, you know, with Israel, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, um, and, and of course, we'll, you know, I'll acknowledge it, you know, at times throughout all these high holy days and how important it is. But I don't know that there's a sermon there except to say that it's great and I can't wait to watch it unfold. But there's not a 15 minute sermon. Uh, I think that's true. And there's also, you know, I find it's the it's also the balance of some years. I think it's really like we are shaped by our, our own experience, the questions our children are asking us, our own life events, um, the natural ebb and flow of, of the world and aging and whatever it is that's going on. You know, I think about like the sermon after Hadara was born, or I think about, um, you know, I, I did a sermon about resilience, the high holy days right after my father had passed away. and. Um, so like some of it sort of lead, sometimes life events lead us into it, but our sermons have to be so much more than just us. And so yeah. it's like, how do we, sometimes I find that, um, I, I really personally don't have a sermon. I have a lot of thoughts and I need to now write a sermon that is a lot of thoughts about the world because yeah. I don't have this sermon just bubbling up. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, as, as rabbis um, and, and Cantor, you know, we have a responsibility to transmit certain messages throughout the High Holy Days. It includes the sermons, it includes um, the work that we do, the introductions to some of the prayers. And, uh, but, you know, of course, over this 10-day uh, period, um, you know, you're going to hear anti-Semitism is, is terrible. Uh, Israel is, is, is precious. Uh, you, you know, you're going to hear... Uh, um, you know, this too shall pass, right? You know, hopeful messages about the world. Um, uh, you know, well, and I know that um, while we're still a few weeks away, the sermon that you have for Kol Nidre and the sermon that that I came to for for Yom Kippur are are very complementary. Um, yeah. You know, like on Yom Kippur Day, my sermon's going to be a lot about um, we have to choose to do better. Like life is short, time is precious. Um, Today's not a day for excuses. We have to do better. Um, and, yeah, I, and for Kol Nidre, it sounds like you're you're really thinking kind of another piece of that. that yeah, I think uh, let's we'll we'll see what our listeners say when <laughs> uh, after they hear them. But I think I, um, I I love that when and and it it, it happens often where clergy uh, write complimentary sermons because. Um, you know, we're we're all in the same we're in the same groove. We we know what the what 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 people want to hear and need to hear, and um, so I, I love when it when it works out that way. And and so far, none of us have used the same texts or the same you know uh, examples or anything like that. No, I, and sometimes even if we do, it's because it needs to be said multiple times. Right. I mean, but you know, right. this year with the virtual high holy days. Um, there's going to be some opportunities to try some new things because we can actually, we don't have to give it from the pulpit. Right. Um, we can, uh, we're, we're going to be able to deliver the sermon um, standing without the pulpit in front of us, a chance to, to try a, a new mode and, and just feel like we're talking right to 
our people. Yeah, and I'm excited about that. We have, um, you know, like we just were, we're working through our Yom Kippur afternoon service that's going to be focused on healing. And you know, there's so many ways to, to mix all this together. So sermons, though, you know, they get a lot of press. We certainly spend a lot of time on them. But at the end of the day, they are um, percentage-wise only a small piece of a larger High Holy Days experience. It's so true. It's so true. You know, when we think about um, uh, the the actual services themselves, it's a, it's only a percentage of it. Uh, but what's nice is during the year, you know, as you said about that the sermon you gave on um, interfaith inclusion, you know, people will come up to us and say. I remember this story, or I remember this quote, or I remember when, and, and um, it's meaningful that, that people are really listening. Well, I think that that segues very well to, we hope you will listen. Um, we are nine days away from Rosh Hashanah as we're recording this. And um, if you don't have a congregation yet, or if you don't know where you're gonna be virtually for the High Holy Days, um, please go to www.the-temple.org backslash high-holy-days and you'll see our whole schedule and lineup. Um, I'm wondering how many people are actually going to watch multiple High Holy Day services from multiple congregations. I've already heard of a few people who are mixing and matching, so um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why not? <laughs> and like a gazillion people, friends and family from all over the country are, are saying, well, we're watching you this year. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I know that um, there will be a good number of people logged in with the last name Lapidus. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send them a bill later. No, I'm just kidding. Sounds good. Sounds, well, um, actually, to be, yeah. my, uh, my mother-in-law always listens and they're in California, so they would watch our live stream. And um, they would start their day very early, and and I would come off the bema to an email telling me what they thought of the service and what they liked, and um, so definitely reach out. You know, we can't all travel to be with one another, but um, we can at least um, share in some experiences together. So true, friends. Thank you so much for listening. We wish you an early shana tova umituka, a happy and a sweet new year. Uh, we cannot wait to be with you. We'll all be together and it will feel like we're all together. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Podcast from The Temple. Where we inspire lives. And transform our world.